Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey friends, and welcome to another episode of the Happy Hour Podcast with Jamie Ivey. I'm your host, Jamie, and what a joy to have you join us today. We have a really, really great conversation for you. I sit down today with Levi Lusco, who I read Levi's book years ago through the eyes of a lion. And so this was fun for me to be able to tell him how much I loved his book. But Levi's a pastor and a dad, and he has a new book that actually just released yesterday called The Last Supper on the Moon. Now, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I have not been more intrigued by a book in my entire life, like literally in my entire life. Full disclosure, I tried to read every book before I interview someone. It's how I read so many books in a year. I did not have a copy of this book before we did this interview towards the end of December. And so I have not at the time of this recording read the book. I'm telling you, as soon as this book arrives in my office, I will devour it. This conversation is so intriguing today because it's like part history about moon and space and part reminders about what Jesus is for us and our identity is based in him. Listen, this conversation is beautiful today. Also, I want to say this. If you're someone who has walked through ever or especially in the last couple of years, some mental health issues, whether that be depression or anxiety or panic attacks, let me tell you, Levi understands that journey and we talk about that today. I learned so much in this interview and I joked at the end that I was going to take all of this fun knowledge and take it to a dinner party party and just impress everyone. And so I hope you get some fun knowledge out of this as well. And I actually am interested to see how many of you actually knew some of the stuff about the moon and that first walk on the moon. How many of you actually knew this stuff? Because this was so new to me on so many levels. You guys, before Levi jumps in here with us, I have a request for you. If you've been listening to the happy hour for a while, or maybe this is your first time and you just really enjoyed this conversation. If you love the show, man, I can't tell you how much ratings and reviews do for the show. It's not something that we need to make ourselves feel better or pat ourselves on the back. We really believe in the shows that we're creating. We want to bring shows to you that help you see Jesus better. We want to bring shows to you that help you trust him more and love him more. We want to bring shows to you that maybe might make you think a little bit more about things that you hadn't thought about before. Maybe you feel a little uncomfortable, but it's a great conversation. So if you've had a great experience with the happy hour and you love this podcast, we would really love it if you would go wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating or review. It helps more people find the show. And that's what we want is we want to get the happy hour into as many ears as we can. And I want to say thank you ahead of time for doing that. It means a whole lot to me. Thank you for listening to the show. And today, this conversation with Levi Lesko is a really, really good one. So here is Levi Lesko. Levi, welcome to the happy hour. Jamie, what a great name too. Well, you know, it's funny because everyone's like, oh, is it the happy hour? Because like, you just want everyone to be happy. I'm like, well, that yes, but also like, your girl loves a happy hour. Like I love the half price appetizers. I love the half price bottle of wine, not for myself, for the whole table, you know? And so it's like a happy hour with my friends. So I'm glad you're here. And it means the whole workday is behind you. It's (laughs) a very kind of Jimmy Buffett vibe. It's always five o'clock somewhere. It is so fun. And I just, you know, happy hour for me is gathering with the girlfriends or whoever's there, you know, and just talking about everything about life. And that's what the show is. And so I'm glad that you're here. Um, Okay. So you've been a pastor for how long? Ooh, uh, tr- uh, math, math is not my thing, but I have been in pastoral ministry since I was 20 years old and I'm just turning 40 in May. So 20 years. Wow. Congrats. Like you already turned 40 or 2022 is your 40 birthday. 22, 2022. I'll turn 40. Yeah. Do you have any apprehensions about 40? 
You know, my wife turned 40 yesterday and uh, she says it's good so far. No, I, I have heard 30s are you're figuring out who you are. I mean, by 30s, you figured out who you are. I've heard so many people tell me their 40s was their most productive decade. So I'm excited. Listen, Levi, I am 43. So I got three years under my belt ahead of you. Um, and I am loving the 40s loving the forties. It, it is this, like you hit this hill where almost you kind of go, you know what? I don't care as much what people think about me. I really kind of have even a little bit more clarity as what I'm doing with my life. Forties for the win. I really love it. Yeah. Someone's, I heard some, what is it in one season of your life? You care too much what people think about mm-hmm. you. Then the next season, you don't care what they think about you. Then the best season is when you finally realize they weren't thinking about you at all. They were thinking <laughs> about themselves. So now you can just get to work. Listen, I will say to my husband, like, oh my gosh, I wonder what they think about me. And he'll be like, Jamie, no one's thinking about you. Like no one's actually thinking about you. And I'm like, oh, that feels so good. Like no one's actually thinking about us. It's quite liberating to remember we're all just struggling inside our own skin. And so is everybody else, right? It's so, so true. And I think that's even become more true over the past couple of years. Like we've seen a whole society like struggle and it's just been really, really hard. I know that you've probably walked through that uh, past year, but tell us a little bit about your family and then we'll jump into our conversation today. Yeah. So Jenny, my wife and I have five kids, four girls and then a boy. And our second of the four girls is in heaven. And the three here are the sweet 16 year old and then a 11 a nine-year-old girl. And then my little buddy is four years old. He's the surprise ending for our family. He is precious. I follow your wife on Instagram and I really do love seeing pictures of your little surprise buddy. He's so cute. You know, I was introduced to you. I read Through the Eyes of a Lion, which was my first introduction to you. And I don't know where that was in your book writing. First, middle. Number one. Yeah. Number one. Oh, I've been here since the beginning. And you walk through that book and talk about the tragedy of losing your daughter. And I remember Levi, I read it a while ago and I remember reading it in the bathtub, TMI, but all my listeners know I do a lot of reading the bathtub. And I remember just like crying so much, but I also remember feeling so hopeful at the same time. And I just want to say thank you. Like now that I have you in front of me to say thank you for writing that because no one wants to write that story ever, but you stewarded it so well in that book. And so thank you for doing that. Oh, thank you for that kindness. I tell people, I know I was involved in that book, but I felt like God gave it through me more than I even really participated in it. Mm, That's so great. Okay. You have a new book that actually, when this is airing, came out yesterday. And I'm going to be honest with you, Levi. I saw the book come in, the title, and I was like, what is this? Like, is this a book about space or is this a book about Jesus? Is this a book about people? Is this a book about identity? I was so very intrigued. And as a buyer, good for you, Levi, because that was really great that I was intrigued by it. But I really want to hear about this. You titled this book, The Last Supper on the Moon. And I actually heard from someone that this was a book that you kind of wrote just for you and then no idea ever of it being published. But tell us a little bit about what led you to this book, The Last Supper on the Moon. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Every question you just asked, I would say yes to, by the way. (laughs) It's a book about Jesus. It's a book about space. It's a book about people. It's a book about identity. But I did write it for me. I wrote it because the moon was haunting me. Everywhere during about a year-long period, I went and looked. The moon was there. Like I would just look Mm -hmm. out of the corner of my eye on an airplane. It'd be right in the center of of the window. I felt like it was just calling to me. And my friend, Brant Kreider, who he runs a fashion house in New York, he told me, this crazy story about communion on the moon. I didn't know about it. I don't know how I missed the memo, but apparently the first thing ever eaten on the moon was wine and bread. 
in honor of Jesus's sacrifice. Well, I've never heard this before, Levi. So like just I would love to hear even from listeners if they've heard this. This was blew my mind, too, when I read it that you wrote about this. Apollo 11, July 1969. Neil Armstrong is preparing to step out of the lunar lander Eagle after 400,000 people had rallied behind President John F. Kennedy's impossible moonshot vision of landing man on the moon and returning him home safely by the end of the decade. Okay, Jamie, this is before our suitcases had wheels. Right. We are still carrying, schlepping our suitcases around. Uh But President Kennedy's like, no, here's what we're going to do. We're going to beat the Russians, I tell you. And so the whole country mobilizes like never before or since to do one thing and we'd get it done. That's what we do in America. We get her done. Right. <laughs> and so there we are. But lo and behold, inside Buzz Aldrin's cargo pocket on his pants was a NASA approved, though not publicly dispersed. No one knew about it. They didn't mm-hmm. put it in the press releases. Because on Apollo 8, which was two missions before, they had read the Genesis account on Christmas on the radio, and the whole the whole nation loved it. But one person, Madeline Murray O'Hare, the famed atheist, sued NASA, mm. saying that it was a separation of church and state issue. She lost that court, and the Supreme Court ruled that it, it was not a violation, but NASA didn't want to get a big PR scandal, so they just said, look— you can take communion on the moon, just don't say anything. And wow. so he did it, but he was kept under wraps for a long time. So when I found that out, I was like, okay, I'm intrigued. And then the moon started chasing me. Okay, so this is a lot of information to take in that I, in my 43 years, I've never, ever heard. And granted, I'm not a space lover. I'm not into it like you have. So there's some excuse for me there as well. But this is crazy that I've never heard this before. And you never heard this before. To you, when you heard that, how did that change everything? The communion was the first thing that happened on the moon. I mean, granted, listen, that's crazy. That's, I don't want to say weird, but that's just like, wow, I've never heard that. Why did it move you so much? Well, because of what Jesus's death means to me personally, as a Jesus follower, you know, his body and blood being represented in these sacraments that we've been given of eating and drinking to taste and, mm. and you know, the world drinks to mm. forget but the church has been given a meal to help us remember. You know, and alcohol is fine in moderation, of course, Mm -hmm. but when you're getting drunk, what you're trying to do is you're trying to dim reality. But the beautiful thing about being a fully alive follower of Christ is that we don't need reality dimmed. We can see life in full vibrant color. In fact, the Holy Spirit gives us another dimension of vision, which is why the Bible says, don't be drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to see less of reality. We want to see more, meaning I get to believe that I see angels. I get to believe that I see heaven coming. I believe I get to see the potential inside of people. And that's just incredible. So I think that the sacrament of communion is, which alongside baptism is all we've been given as far as physical things that we're supposed to do to interact with God and his people. So communion has always been very special to me. And and it took on a new meaning after my daughter died. In fact, one friend of mine who has a daughter in heaven as well, he told me that wow. he only feels near to her when he's taking the Lord's Supper mm-hmm. because there's some sense. I don't understand it all, but there's some mystical way in which mm-hmm. we're interacting with Jesus and celebrating his coming when we do participate in the Last Supper. So to know that the first time a human being ever stepped foot on another mm-hmm. planet, another body spinning around the sun, it hit me hard. And so I kind of kept it as a secret for a mm-hmm. while. Then on my birthday in 2020, pandemic, the world's ending, I wake up and I just knew it was the day mm-hmm. to start writing. And I know as a fellow published, uh, published author, you know that between mm-hmm. projects, it can be difficult to keep the flame of passion. And I was out of contract. I had put off signing a new one. I just didn't have anything to write. And so I decided that day I was just going to write this one differently. 
I didn't tell my agent. Wow. I didn't tell my publisher until the thing was a hundred thousand words long. You got just for everyone's knowledge here. I don't think that Levi, your books are, my books are not a hundred thousand words. Mine are 50. And I'm guessing that the books you've previously published are not, that's a lot of words is what I'm trying to say. That's a lot of words. Yeah. And it was uh, different than I'd ever written because it was more lyrical. I chose Mm. to write more poetic or I guess choose is wrong. It chose me. It just flowed out of me more that way. And I guess the real crux, because I know a lot of people aren't space people and a lot of people aren't Jesus people, but this is a book for people, people, because every one of us feels something when we stand at night and look up at the moon, all of us, lovers, poets, painters, fiends, all of us alike feel like there's some, I mean, the moon pulls and controls the tides. Mm-hmm. It affects rhythms. And Psalm 8 says that it is given for us to look up to the moon and then ask the important question, what is man? Who am mm-hmm. I? And so that's kind of where this journey began. You know, I think that it is beautiful because you said we all have this pull towards the moon. And even as you're saying that, I just remember if we were to look at our phones, how many pictures do we have of the moon? Because you'll be driving and you'll be somewhere and be like, oh my gosh, the moon is so pretty. Let's take a picture of it. You're so right about that. Now you mentioned the season where you just felt like the moon was chasing you. And to me, I'm hearing like maybe that there was a season of maybe anxiety or feeling out of control. Can you talk about that season a little bit for you? And like what it felt like that you really did feel like there's something happening with this pull and the moon's always there. It's always there. And every time I look up, it's chasing me. So what was going on in your life in that time? I began, Jamie, to have a very difficult mental health season in the midst of the pandemic, as many people experience. I've had low-grade anxiety my whole life that I can remember. I can remember childhood terror in the night, waking up sweaty, you know, all the, Mm. the anxiety stuff. But it congratulations, pandemic. You did it. You broke me because I had my first full-fledged panic attack where I thought I was going to have to have my wife call the police on me because I was jumping out of my body, you know, mm-hmm. my, my heart. Like it was like I was about to run a marathon when I wasn't. And I think mm-hmm. it was because like so many others, the pace unhealthy probably of my life before the pandemic was so adrenalized. Next airplane, next project, next thing, next go, 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 go another hotel room, another city, another opportunity. And then all of a sudden, take away Delta Airlines, take away hotel rooms, take away the the life on the road. And I'm back at home. And all of a sudden, like a, a soldier coming home from war, I start feeling everything I have not felt for a decade, probably. Mm-hmm. And it manifested in some really scary panic attacks where I didn't know if I was going to make it. And I would find myself a lot awake in the night, calming down, doing some breathing exercises. I mean, I went to my doctor, I was with pastoral help. I was talking to my counselor and a psychologist for a season. I got onto medication that I wanted to quickly get off and I would find myself looking up at the moon and it hit Mm -hmm. me. That's the same moon that David looked at the night that he had the affair with Bathsheba. Mm -hmm. It's the same moon that Esther stood up looking at, not a similar moon. There's only Mm -hmm. ever been one. And it somehow just comforted me to think about this nightlight in the sky that God has given for his children. That's so, so good. And you know, everyone that's listening is probably going, I had similar experience. It might not be coming off the road, but it might not be this, but fill in the blank. And there it is. We experienced some of the same things at our house because all of a sudden, just like you, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm not going anywhere. And all of a sudden I'm at home and it made you kind of face some realities that you hadn't faced before. You know, when you think about that season and you would find yourself going out looking at the same moon, like how does that knowledge 
help you go to the next day. Because the thing with anxiety and depression and panic attacks is sometimes it feels like, I don't know if I'll get to the next day. Like, how do we even put another foot in front of the other one? And so for you, you're thinking, this is the same move David looked at, you know, um, Esther and Moses and Mary, mother of Jesus, all of those things. How did that help you get to the next day? Well, you know, first of all, it's slowly. And one of the things I talk about in the book is the moon is like, you know, it's crescent moon, then it's gibbous and waning and waxing. And it's just, it gets there slowly. It's a sliver and then it's a full moon, mm. you know, and they're super moons, you know? So it's like, it comforted me to think, like you said, that that same moon shined on all those dark days and those dark days, God was faithful then and he's going to be faithful now. And I would think about, you know, World War II, the moon plays into some very significant events in history, the Normandy invasions and the, you know, fleeing of Dorchester Heights and the Revolutionary War, the moon pops up now and again. And just thinking what seemed like a crisis probably in the moment is no longer an issue. And so kind of there was a stabilizing impact to think the moon just keeps spinning and it's just going to keep going. And then the other thing that the moon really spoke to me, and I talk a lot about this in the book, there's a whole chapter called The Dark Side of the Moon. And there's another one called Radio Silence is this idea of what's on the back of the moon. Because, Jamie, you may already know this, but every night when you look at the moon, you're only looking at one side of it. I mean, that makes sense if you think about it. Yeah. It spins, but it does so in such a way where it always keeps the same side hidden. So when you look up and you see the texture, even though it's spinning, it spins in a way where it keeps its back away from us. The first time man ever saw the backside of the moon, we found out it was way more cratered than the front. Which, think about it, any asteroid coming towards us, the moon acts as a bodyguard. So like a servant before a king, the moon never turns its back on us. I can't even like think about this, Levi, because I've never even known before or thought about it this way. Okay, so Mark Twain said that every person is a moon. We all have a damaged backside we don't Mm. want the world to see. So again, you and I, we tend to want to keep our best face forward. You don't want them to see you cry. You don't want them to see you bleed. So one of the things I looked up at the moon and thought about the battered backside was I'm not going to ever be helped with these issues if I don't let some people see my backside. Mm. And, you know, I love to have it all together. And I love the appearance of having it all together as an Enneagram three productivity is my heroine. And you can't be productive if you're broken, you know? So I called up some friends and I just really told them what was going on. And I cried in front of them. And you know what? They said me too. They didn't say, Mm. how dare you? You know? And so I think one of the things the moon can tell us is that the backside that makes us weird also can make us wonderful. You know, it's so beautiful. I'm married to an Enneagram three. So when you're saying that, I'm like, oh yeah, this is my husband, a hundred percent. I love that you brought this up because so many people, that first step of telling someone is the hardest of letting someone know into like, here's the real things actually going on in my life. And it doesn't matter what type of job you have, whether you're married or single parent or not raising children. We all have these things that we would rather, like the dark side, like you said, we'd rather just keep these for ourselves. But you've learned firsthand and so many people have come before you on the show and talked about how they've learned firsthand that the true healing comes when we bring that into the light, when we let people in. So you did that and you made that first step. But I want to ask you this a little bit on the flip side of that. Some people are going to be on the receiving end of that call. They're going to have a friend call and say, hey, like, listen, you thought you knew all of me. I had to let you in. I'm having a really hard time. What did you need to hear in that moment? So as I'm on the receiving end or whoever's listening, what do we need to think about when someone comes to us and says, I'm going to let you see the dark side. I'm going to bring you in. Well, I think obviously it should go without saying it needs to be said that confidentiality is so important. You know, I think trust is, what do they say? It's built in drops, but lost in buckets. Mm. And, you know, I think sadly the church can have a reputation at times for gossip and for, 
we can tell anybody anything so long as we use the crucial phrase, I have a prayer request, you know? Right. So I think to guard someone's backside, you know, like Noah's sons who brought the blanket to cover him and didn't mm-hmm. shame him. I think that's really important that you have, you take that real seriously. I also think saying you're going to pray for someone is not the same as praying for them. And mm-hmm. to really carry someone in your heart is an important privilege. I also think, you know, once you know, you have that responsibility. When I do a wedding, I always say, hey, you guys did not just come to bring a gift and eat some cake. You have the responsibility as guests of this union being here as, as witness, your witnesses mm-hmm. to be a continued presence of encouragement to the couple. So one practical thing is besides the prayer and the confidentiality is now let's say a week later, God puts them on your heart at 2 a.m. Text them. Don't just mm-hmm. you know think everything's fine. I would say check in regularly and make it your habit. Who doesn't want to receive a text message in the night that says, hey, prayed for you tonight, 2.33 yeah. a.m., prayed for you. Send them little verses, send them little encouragements. It means more than you know. It's so good. That's so good. All right, I want to switch gears a little bit here, Levi. Throughout the book, you examine three significant sevens. All right. So I would love it if you give us a little brief overview of those sevens. And when I'm saying sevens, guys, I'm saying like the number seven. It's a trip, Jamie. The number seven, which is coincidence or not, I was born on May 7th. Seven's always been my favorite number. I was born on May 6th, by the way. So we're just one day apart. There we go. Oh, we are birthday buddies. We're birthday buddies. Okay. So seven is found all throughout creation. Seven notes in the musical scale. There are seven colors in the visible spectrum of the rainbow, seven days in the week. There are seven spots on the average ladybug. If you roll two dice, the most high probable number is a seven. Seven is how many numbers there are in a telephone number. Because when they tried eight, the amount of mistakes skyrocket. And seven seems to be the most comfortable amount of numbers in a row that the average person can remember easily. So the Bible's full of seven. There are seven spirits in before the throne of Revelation, seven trumpet judgments. Jesus in John's gospel said seven times, I am, and then said what he was. And when he was hanging on the cross, he spoke seven times before he perished. Then after he rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, he wrote seven letters to seven churches. So it's a trip, right? Yeah. And there's also seven installments in the Harry Potter series. So you know, <laughs> there you go. J.K. Rowling got it all <laughs> yeah. together. So I, in the book, as space program has sevens too, the original seven astronauts to compose the Mercury missions to form the right stuff to get this whole thing started with the moon landing. So what I do in the book is in addition to some very interesting space history and obviously all the things that we're talking about, how to use the dark side of your moon for good, weaponizing mm-hmm. your weirdness, right? All that. I also use as a guide the seven times that Jesus spoke and said who he was and then gave us those things. I'm the vine, I'm the shepherd, I'm the door, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, et cetera. And we go through those. I love it. You said in the book, you said one of the goals of this book is to help you understand your true identity. This is you speaking. I firmly believe that identity determines activity. You'll never wake up knowing what you're supposed to do until you have a firm grasp on who you are. And to me, that kind of ties in with Jesus even talking about who he is and understanding that. So how do you tie in the seven times Jesus talks about who he is as to how we're also going to know who we are to moving forward in life? Yeah, it's huge. And I think that's the key. Okay. So it's, it's counterintuitive, but to the listener who's like, I don't know if that's going to work, but stay with me. When we wanted to get to the moon, we needed a rocket. You can just stand there all you want, pretending to grab it with your fingers, but you're not going to get it without a rocket mm. to bridge the gap. I believe that for many of us, the blessed life, the, the everything we want our lives to look like, but it's not, 
is like the moon that you see out there, but you can't get. And the, the problem is we need that rocket to bridge the gap because it's a quarter million miles to the moon. You know, you can't jump no matter how hard you try. Mm-hmm. So I believe as opposed to trying to find ourselves, which is usually what we try to do, we don't want to figure out our identity. We need to lose ourselves and in losing, we find it. So it's not about who we are. It's about who Jesus is, because when we discover his identity, that informs ours. So if he's loving, we're loved. If he's a good father, we're loved sons and daughters. If he's the the good shepherd, then what do we have to worry about? We're sheep. Mm -hmm. So in the book, what I'm trying to do is through those seven statements, nail down who Jesus is. And I think that once we discover that and look full in his wonderful face, the things of this world, they're going to grow strangely dim, meaning we're not going to quite be so worried about the things we were worried about before. And I think this, what's so beautiful about it is it can happen anywhere. A lot of times the traditional find myself route is backpacking in Europe, Mm -hmm. you know, some epic scuba diving trip in Australia. But Moses had his life changed in the same wilderness he was keeping sheep in for 40 years. So in other words, it was in a crappy apartment or working Mm -hmm. at Wendy's. It wasn't on some, you know, God can rock your world and show you who he is right in the middle of your normal life. Mm, That's good news because most people listen. We feel like we're just living this normal life. We don't have the option to just go backpacking through Europe for three months to find ourselves. You know, I love that you're talking about this so much because, and I don't want to overstep here, but it feels like in the last 10 years, this whole like find yourself to make yourself happy has gotten to be a a larger narrative. And I don't know if you would agree with that or not. But within the church, we know that like you just said, which I firmly agree is that like finding ourselves is never going to lead to hope or peace or love, all those things, because I myself can't bring that stuff up. I need Jesus to do that for me. So going to find Jesus in the midst of that. But here's the encouragement that I want the listener to hear. Levi Lesker, I'm talking to you right now. This is not any kind of new concept for you about going to Jesus to find your identity. And yet you've already mentioned to us in this conversation that in 2020, you were really struggling in an area with mental health. There are so many times that the church would say to someone struggling with mental health, well, I guess you're not trusting in your identity. I guess you're not doing this. Can you kind of pastor us through the, I guess, the falseness about that? Because a lot of people are feeling like, man, I must not love God enough. You know, I must not pray enough. And again, finding Jesus for identity, even in the midst of those moments that we're all going to have with mental health, wherever that might fall, however it might last, whatever might bring it on, that doesn't change our identity in Christ. And so can you just speak some hope into people's lives for that? Absolutely, Jamie. And I think the distinction becomes even more salient when you remember who he is, is where we go to to figure out who we are. When I am finding my identity in myself, and like I admitted a moment ago, I tend to go back to Martha, that what I'm doing equals how I'm mm-hmm. doing. And so in this season of extreme panic attacks and hard, hard, hard hitting, debilitating anxiety, if my identity is based on me in those moments where I feel like, I, I mean, it was a moment I was in my green room getting ready to preach weeping uncontrollably. That's not me. I'm not that way. And I'm just looking over my notes and I'm thinking, I don't know if I can do this. And then I go, it was even scarier. I don't know if I want to do this. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I want to continue to pastor and preach. I don't know. You know, and it was in that season of everything I said was wrong that half the church and every decision I made was compromised in the eyes of some and not enough in the eyes of others. And, you know, it's like, well, you don't care about racial injustice. Well, you don't care about the fact that our government's taken away our freedom. And it's like, I would say the same sentence and I'm just trying to preach. And I got to this place where I was like, I've never since I was 14 years old, not wanted just to preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. But I'm in that moment crying because I was having a crisis of what do I even want to do with my life? And so if I could freeze frame that moment and look at me there, If my identity Mm. is based on Levi the preacher, Levi the author, 
Levi, the, you know, hotly desired speaker. Well, guess what, pal? This guy is not blue chip stock at the moment. Mm -hmm. But if my identity is, and everybody has their own parallel because we all see each other at our worst. We see ourselves at our worst. But if my identity in that moment is in Jesus and I'm loved no matter what, and I don't have to do anything to be celebrated, think about how Jesus's baptism, the father said, behold, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus hadn't done one miracle, hadn't cast out one demon and hadn't given one sermon. His identity was who he was in the father's eyes. And from that place of knowing who he was, he was able to go and do all his ministry because he wasn't trying to win anything. Good. Yeah. So I think that's where we need to get to. I love that. And I think that's something that like we're going to see as Christ followers throughout our whole journey here on earth until we go meet Jesus. It's called sanctification. We're just going to move through that and we're going to continue to stand firm on that identity. Levi, I cannot wait for this book to get into people's hands. First of all, I love talking with people who have just amazing, like ginormous random facts. I'm like, I've never had a conversation about the moon in my entire life. And I'm going to go to dinner tonight. And let me tell you, Levi, I'm going to own this dinner table with what I'm about to bring about the moon tonight. So thank you for that. Oh, you want one more? I need one more. Yes. People will have to get to the end of my book to get this one, but you'll get it here. When Neil finally did get out, because he got to go out first and there's a whole drama on that because Buzz really wanted to be the first on the moon. And Buzz's dad actually really pestered the postal service because they made a stamp that said first man on the moon. And he lobbied a huge, huge, you know, thing trying to get it changed the stamp to say first men on the moon because okay. Buzz was excluded. But mm-hmm. that's a whole nother thing. But when Neil finally gets out, he's carrying in his pocket a piece of the Wright Brothers flyer airplane wing from the Smithsonian in his pocket. Now it's only 66 years after the first flight, 1903, first flight ever, uh, Orville and Wilbur Wright, Kitty Hawk. We flew hundred feet, a flight that lasted barely 10 seconds. 66 years later, we're a quarter million miles away on the moon. And he brought the piece of the wing as a gesture of, I only got to be here because they were, did that back there, which is pretty beautiful. That's amazing. It is amazing. And when I hear stories like that, it makes me think like I have children around the same age as you. And I just want to be like, you guys, you have no idea what the possibilities are for the rest of your life and your generation to come. Because I mean, 115 years ago was, you know, the first like 10 second flight. It's just crazy the way things are happening. So thank you for my amazing dinner conversation tonight that I'm about to have. And really thank you for this book. It's going to be a real, real big help for a lot of people's lives. And thank you for your vulnerability. And thank you for coming on the show. I need to ask you this though, Levi, what are you loving and what are you reading? Ooh, well, I am really, really preoccupied with the Irish potato famine right now. Oh, I don't even know about this, Levi. Oh my gosh, have mercy, Jamie. So the (laughs) nation of Ireland in the year 1845 to 48 was experienced the worst blight of potatoes. They were almost all on a potato diet because they were so poor. They were literally eating one thing for every meal, potatoes. The average Irish person in that year would be eating about 10 pounds of potatoes a day. And then a blight came in from South America that wiped out all the potatoes. So now they had only one source of food and now there's none. Okay. And so do you know what happened? About 4 million Irish people left Ireland and 2 million of them ended up in America, which is why there are so many Irish Americans. And in okay. one of the families was had a last name called Kennedy. And during that same period, a family named Lennon ended up leaving Ireland and going to Liverpool. 
And that's how we have John Lennon, the Beatle. And so the reason there's so many Irish people in the world is because of this potato famine. And so that's, I've been researching that a lot lately. How do they come back to this? Because I've been to Ireland, had plenty of potatoes. Well, eventually they figured out what was causing the blight and they overturned it. But what I see it as, as a good thing is that horrible period ended up causing there to be Irish people all around the world. And so many of them have contributed beautifully mm-hmm. to the world. And it's kind of like when the church is persecuted, it ends up spreading. And that's the book of Acts. Love it. Love it. Well, Levi, this has been such a great conversation for me to have with you. And congrats on your newest book, The Last Supper on the Moon, which you guys just released yesterday. So you can get it wherever you get books. Levi, thanks for coming on the happy hour. Oh, Jamie, thanks a lot. All right, you guys, did you get just loads of random, important, amazing, what? I never knew that information today. Seriously, I feel like Levi is that person that you could sit down in a dinner party and just be entertained with, not like from an entertainer way, but from just like a conversational way. So I really love this conversation and I have been a fan in the best possible way of him and his wife for a while and really love the ministry that they're doing at their church and Fresh Life and everywhere that they're impacting the world for the gospel. And so if you can get a copy of his book, The Last Supper on the Moon, which released just yesterday on January 11th. I also want to say real quick, today is the anniversary of the earthquake in Haiti that happened in 2010. And the reason that is special to us is because two of my children were born in the country of Haiti. And one of them actually was still living there when the earthquake hit. So we always remember today as being the anniversary of that. Friends, I hope through our conversation today that you learned a lot, but I also hope that you really do believe where your identity is meant to be found. And it is only and fully in Jesus. Thanks so much for listening to the Happy Hour Jamie Ivy podcast. We are truly grateful for every single story that we get to share with you, every encouragement we get to bring to you, and every opportunity we get to point us all to Jesus. If you're loving this show, we would appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and or review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, tell your friends. That is actually the number one way that people find out about our show because you tell them. Join us right here every Wednesday and Friday for meaningful conversations that make us think, make us laugh and point us to Jesus. Also, come find me on other places around the internet as well. I love Instagram. I'm at Jamie Ivy, And we've been having some fun posting videos on YouTube as well. Sometimes you wish you could see the person I'm interviewing. Well, come over and find us there and you can. JamieIvy.com slash YouTube. The Happy Hour is produced by Lindsay Sweeney. Show notes are written by Abigail Castell. Graphics by Rachel Ray. The show is edited by the team at Podshaper. And I'm your host, Jamie. And I love every single week that I get to be here with you guys. Until next time, have a happy hour with a friend. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. 
Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com.